Sonic Talk, we have Jerome Noel from Ohmforce to talk about the newly released collaborative door Ohm Studio, Windows 8, and why are people so angry? Plus, ahead of next week's Worldwide Developer Conference, are Apple about to refresh the Mac Pro range? I do hope so. Sonic Talk is brought to you by Yamaha. Please do check out the O1V96i compact digital mixing console with tons of DSP on board. Go to Yamaha Pro Audio and take a look at the O1V96i. And by Mac Pro Video. Pro application audio training done right. Save 20% on any downloads by visiting sonicstate.com forward slash mpv. That's sonicstate.com forward slash mpv. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Sonic Talk. Today is uh, episode 270 uh, and today is um, special because we've just had a really long uh, bank holiday weekend and I've uh, it's taken me an awfully long time to get it back together again and start working. Uh, I have been enjoying the French Open tennis, which uh, is kind of a, a really, really uh, tenuous link to our first guest, <laughs> who is also based... I'm guessing you're based in Paris. This is Jerome yeah. Noel from uh, Ohm Force, not Ohm Studio there. Um, and the reason he's with us is because uh, Ohm Studio is now live. We have covered this in the past, and it's been a sort of a, a long labour of love project. And Jerome is there with whiteboard in the background, so he's obviously yeah. making heady progress. There's lots of ticks and things listed there. So I'm guessing See, things, we're working. things are working. Everything's going very fast. Um, Jerome, I'm just wondering, could you possibly tilt your Mac forward a little bit just to get your head um, further up the, the screen, if that's possible? <laughs> that's it. That's perfect. That's it. That makes us look like uh, we're about the same height. That's great. Okay. Anyway, Jerome, thank you very much for joining us. I realise you must be very busy now that you've actually launched it. There's kind of data flying about all over the place and people saying, I must have this. Yeah, Exactly. This doesn't work. I want this feature. <laughs> so, yeah, all the time. Excellent. Right. Um, and I'm going to go and join uh, Dave Spears from G4 Software also. Well, at least that's the idea. There we go. There's Dave. Dave bang. Spears, g4software.com, also um, fresh from a launch. Uh, of course, um, that was, uh, well, not quite fresh from a launch, approaching a launch. This is We spoke about this last week, the Reason Rack extensions and presumably a number of other things that are filling your inbox as it were. <laughs> that sounds a bit dubious, doesn't it, saying it like that? How are you, Dave? I'm all right. Uh, no, I'm not all right, actually. I'm miserable as sin today. Uh, it's almost like we're punished for this kind of long weekend thing. So when we returned to work today, it was just like, right, avalanche of stuff. And it was like, I don't know, I'm in Pro Tools hell at the minute, and it doesn't look likely to go away in the immediate future. I am so, sorry to hear that. Yes, thank you. I don't know if there's anything I can do. Apart from maybe to suggest that you try the home studio. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We want one host. That's all we want from now on. Yes. Well, we're um, we're going to talk to uh, Jerome, uh, uh, hopefully at length, or at least um, um, at some length, uh, about home studio. I've had a chance to check it out. In fact, there's a session live at the moment. Uh, and uh, we're, but first, we're going to say hi to Rich Hilton. From Hiltonius, uh, there we are, Rich. Rich is over there in uh, Connecticut, um, where he mans the controls for Nile Rogers Private Studios. And uh, 
is probably only back for a very short period, perhaps to wash his smalls before heading off on tour on the disco extravaganza that is chic this summer, because you're out of the country an awful lot, all right? Yeah, we're going to be gone a lot, and uh, we leave tomorrow to go to Manchester. And after Manchester, we go up to Loch Ness to play for dear old Nessie. <laughs> oh, yes. That was my classic title, I think, uh, Loch Ness Fudge. Uh, if I remember yeah, yeah, yeah. Seems yeah. to go down very well, that one. I'm hoping she'll wave her tail in the air like she just don't care. <laughs> She's got to. She's got to be a disco monster. I hope so. Actually, I'll tell you what. I went to, there was uh, um, some celebrations. As those of you perhaps who aren't uh, based in the UK might have noticed there, that, or may not have noticed that we've had a, the Queen's Diamond Jubilee and there's been much festivity over the weekend and what have you. Unfortunately, it rained really heavily through most of it, but I did manage to spend uh, an hour or two in a field yesterday in the uh, park in the UK and saw a few bands. One band... Uh, were a, a disco tribute band, and they played quite a lot of Chic and um, and Sister Sledge and that stuff. And they were really good, actually. It was impressive. Good sound system. Um, but I was finished with uh, the uh, the legendary Bjorn again, who are the Abbey, ABBA tribute band, who were also very good. Although I, I think they've been doing it 20 years, and they sort of kept going into other musicals. So they were doing S.O.S., which is the classic, and they just threw um, Message in a Bottle halfway through it because obviously they're getting so sick of playing the same <laughs> riffs all the time. And then there was another one uh, um, where they just had, I think it was Benny or Bjorn, one of the two, just suddenly put on a massive furry hat and a pair of glasses and started rapping. And uh, and I'm guessing, you know, they're just looking for a while. And the bass player was incredibly jazzy at times. I was thinking, hold on, that doesn't sound a bit much like the ABBA bass line I remember. But anyway, it was really good fun and great fun. And I want to thank you for, for all joining us. We'll go back to um, Jerome now. And um, because, um, obviously, Ohm Studio, we've talked about it before. Um, what, just in a, in a sort of short, short paragraph, how would you describe what Ohm Studio is? Uh, yeah, you asked me a short description. Yes. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's a host like you would like a bit like uh, live or logic or things like that. You know, it's a real host that uh, runs on your computer with uh, that hosts plugins, and so you can make music just like those hosts. The only difference is that you can invite invite people so that they can uh, play and, and act on the sequence at the same time as you do. And they can record their voice, their guitar, their bass at the same time. And so it can so work. A... I, I've got, actually, I've got, here's one I prepared earlier. I've got a uh, screen here of uh, the door. It, this is the sort of door main edits, edit window. There's some tracks here, some tracks that have been created. A couple of them have been um, uh, just virtual instruments. Uh, I recorded a bit of audio, and I've frozen tracks as well, and I've shared this with a few people. We've got, uh, if I load up uh, here, I've shared it with people in the chat room as well as, uh, let's see if I can make this. Got there. Uh, we've got uh, Failed Muso who uh, asked to join. We've got Halo, which is you. We've got Hiltonius, who's Rich. Mysterion, I'm guessing, which is Dave. And there's me. And we all can access this and download it. So tell uh, what I'm curious to know is, obviously, if, as I'm generating all this data, it's kind of. I mean, it struck me as it is kind of almost like a Dropbox kind of vibe, where you have a project is a folder, and you know any changes you made to the document or record, it just uploads to the com the communal file sharing point is that a kind of oversimplistic way of looking at it or is that pretty much sum it up uh it's um a bit simplistic because uh if you share the same documents on dropbox and you know two people are editing it 
one of the two version will always override the other. Uh, Here you can have, you know, like a conflict handlings, thing like that, let's say. You could act exactly at the same time on different parts of the song and it would just work. So that's the first thing. And the other thing is that uh, we handle the audio files because obviously audio files are the biggest data that we need to share. So we, we handle them uh, gracefully so that when you record yourself or when you add samples to your session, it just goes very fast to the others. Uh, are you compressing the audio or are you uploading it natively? I mean, there must be some trick to it because obviously if I, yeah. if I add a load of audio, it's going to take a while to go up otherwise, right? Yeah, in fact, it's a bit like, uh, you know, JPEGs on a website. Uh, we encode it uh, at a very low rate at first so that everybody can get it very fast and then at a higher rate and then, and then at a full, full quality. Ah, okay. So you, you can get working right away and it will just pull it down as and when in the background, right? Exactly. So that if you have, a, let's say, uh, it's a, the quality is good enough so that if you have compressors or things like that, you, it will still sound you know, correctly. The envelope followers will still work correctly and things like that. So you will have a very quickly a good idea of, of what's happening. So one thing I wanted to ask was, what, what was the motivation? Because as I understand, this has been a sort of long-term project for your company, right? And it's, it, yeah. it's been something that's taken, you know, taken a lot of your, you, your, you know, you've got your plugins, you've got your other things. But this, has this been kind of the end game for what you've been wanting to do? Yeah, it was from the first day it was written, designing the home studio. It was written on, you know, the, the title of our web page. So that was uh, the recurrent idea we, we had for long, long years. So it took time, and the idea that we wanted to stay, you know, independent. So we started by making plugins to to get a name and a bit of income, and then we moved on to to the own studio. Ah, so. okay. And just just as, um, quickly, I I didn't actually have time to check this. Does it just use audio units, or can it use VSTs? I mean, is it is it? It doesn't matter what kind of format the plugin. Are. No, we. Well, right now we choose to just support VST because uh, the home studio is on Mac and PC and right. you won't have any audio units on PC, obviously. No. So the VST seems to be the, the good choice. And the other question I was asking, because obviously I'm, you know, coming to this, if you have any kind of musical knowledge whatsoever or working in a, com a compositional environment, you've kind of pretty much got your door choice sorted. Why did you decide to build the door as well as the collaborative environment? Why not just work on the collaborative environment? Because now yeah. you're getting stuck into that whole world of, yeah, but I need this on this key command and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, the thing is that we, we, we had a, a thought about it. So we, we tried to find out how we, we would do that. And, you know, it's already been done. There has been the Rocket Network in the past that uh, has been in, incorporated in, in Cubase and Pro Tools. And it's pretty not working anymore. So um, uh, we, the thing is that we didn't find a solution. How, how could we have a solution that would integrate easily in any DAO uh, is not an easy, right. easy problem. So, I mean, you had to write the entire thing to make sure that it would, it would work as you wanted. Yeah, 
exactly. So is there any way that one can integrate your existing projects and kind of go, well, actually, you know, I've got my, my main compositional environment where everything's set up just so, and I have everything, you know, maybe I've got some audio units, maybe I've got some controllers set up, and I want to work in that. I mean, is there a workflow that allows you easily to kind of go, well, I'll tell you what, we'll take these parts and put them in here, and then somebody else can collaborate with me on that? I mean, is there a... Yeah. Well, it's not easy for now, but uh, because you have to export your tracks mm -hmm. and put them back into home studio, which obviously is not easy, but we probably add some rewire re support at one point so that you can, you know, uh, connect your current host to the home studio, hit record, and have everything uh, go into the home studio, which would probably ease the process. Ah, I see. That's interesting. Um, okay, uh, so. Uh, I mean, there were the, some other questions were, I mean, are there, I noticed there was some, um, some mention of the Amazon kind of back end for backup and stuff. Are you using that infrastructure to kind of yeah. host the data and, and look after it in terms of that sense? Yeah, exactly. We use uh, Amazon services for that. So we have a high reliability, mm -hmm. you know, that that I don't, don't go away yeah. <laughs> easily. And, and the server also is on Amazon, so it's, it's easy to manage that. I mean, we, yeah, use, we exactly. use that kind of stuff too. I mean, I know perhaps, Rich, there's something that you might be interested in, of course, which is uh, just security. Because, I mean, if we're, it's okay for me just noodling in my, uh, in my, you know, in my pants on, uh, on a Sunday afternoon, as it were. But, I mean, if I'm working with some, uh, I want to use as a serious collaborative tool and I've maybe got a vocal that has not been kind of perfectified for, you know, and I don't want that out there. I mean, how, how is the security side of things working? Well, we have, uh, you know, like uh, encryption for, so that you cannot just sniff the packets easily. Uh, but for, for the audio in itself, it's stored on Amazon, which handles the security. Mm -hmm. And the, the samples are not stored as is. They are stored in little chunks of data, uh, a lot of different chunks. So if you don't know how to put all those chunks together to make the actual sample, uh, it's not going to be easy. You, 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 we have millions and millions of... Oh, right, okay, I see what you mean. It's yeah. almost like a fragmented hard drive that only there's a, you need to know where all the bits are, otherwise yeah, it's just exactly. a mess. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting yeah. idea. Yeah. Um, has any, anybody else, Rich, have you had a chance to poke around in this or are you pretty much just sort of fresh to it? Well, I poked around in it this morning and I poked around in it a little bit the last time we called it up as a topic, which was something like, two, I don't know, two years ago. Yeah, it was a long a time ago. <laughs> um, it looked like fun to me today. I didn't get to spend more than like 10 minutes with it. I just, I saw that it was one of our topics. I saw a download link. I pulled it down, installed it, and just made sure I could get MIDI into it. And I imported some piece of audio and recorded a little MIDI doodle over it. And I just wanted to make sure that the foundation of it worked and that I could understand it quickly. And for the most part, I could. Did it scan my audio units folder when it launched? Just your VST folders. Are you sure? Oh, I yeah. I think it scanned my audio units folder. That's I think I watched what, it scan my audio units folder. That would surprise me. Yeah, that's yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Is, I mean, I wouldn't care yeah. if it did, but I expected that the audio units would work. But it's fine. I don't care. It's working. The, the plug-in... Dave's wonderful synthesizer ran beautifully in it, and I pulled down a compressor and played around with that. You know, I just did a little bit of stuff to make sure that it sort of made sense in the way it works, and most of it came to me pretty quickly. So it was pretty intuitive. It sort of looks a little like Reaper on the interface end. 
if I may say, which I think is a good thing because the whole interface issue is standardizing to some extent anyway. Everybody's looking at what everybody else is doing and trying to get as much as possible onto one screen in different different places on the screen. And uh, it all made sense to me very easily, and I thought it looked like a really cool thing. I was impressed. That's so, a good yeah. Sorry, one thing I was, I mean, you can work offline. You don't have to be online necessarily to just do some work or do you to, to be able to sign in how does that work because that's just a question that came up from uh uh wild man i don't like the idea of working online in the chat room yeah it's a question that comes uh sometimes uh, to our servers or on the forum uh, for now you have to be online okay. uh, it's uh we we probably can add some offline um uh, mode later on but we have a lot of uh, you know mathematical complexities that occur when we have to synchronize everything uh, from the offline to the online. Uh, so probably what we'll do is uh, add a way for you to work offline and then push it online, and yeah. then it will be only online. It seems to be one of those things that's actually quite difficult to achieve because I found um, just you know just perhaps even in using. Um, the uh, Google Docs, you know, I want to be able to edit that stuff offline. And it seems to be even a company that magnitude don't seem to be able to get that right. And it's incredibly frustrating because for some reason at work, my uh, connectivity is screwy with just with Google Docs. So I now have to do everything in text files and upload them when I get home, which is a bit irritating. But I mean, so what, what is the biggest challenge or what has been the biggest challenge to getting it to this point? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. We have, in fact, it's a, a sum of a lot of different problems that we had to, to solve. Uh, for example, I think one of the biggest one is, which is not totally solved, I'm, I'm afraid it's gonna be, take us some time, is um, how to make working uh, different plugins that were created in, uh, you know, having no idea that it could be hosted in a collaborative environment. How can we make them work together correctly? For example, let's say I have, uh, Minimum Star version 2, and you have uh, Minimum Star version 2.3. And if they are not totally compatible, we may have some issues that arise that are outside right. of our reach. So that's the kind of problem we have. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean that's that. That's I mean that's I, that sounds like something that's kind of it's kind of out of your control to a degree, isn't it? I mean, yeah. have you do, have you considered the, your possibility of maybe substituting? So, if if I've got like a Moogie base on, say, Mini Monster, and the person that I'm working with doesn't have that, but has something else that is a synth, can they substitute that plugin and kind of carry on editing the MIDI? Uh, what they could do is add another track and copy the MIDI, and then uh, edit. Uh, but we we no right now we don't manage like two different plugins at the same place. Right, I see that would make sense. So because I mean, in, in in that sense, there's things like you know high, um, just basic operational stuff with doors as track counts get bigger. You know, hiding, grouping, foldering, all that kind of stuff. Is that is that um, coming on stream or can that already be done? Um, yeah, we have this partially. We don't have like for example track folding yet. What we think is that. It's, it has been a big challenge to have it this way. So we, we, you know, we had tons of features at the beginning when we started uh, uh, conceiving the software. We had tons of features in mind. It was just incredible. So what we started at one point, say, okay, now uh, we have to take like let's say 10% of them and let's choose the most important and put them first. So that's what we did. 
and, and now we are going to listen to the community and, and add the feature that people want, see what, what, what are the features that are most wanted and, and start by them. Interesting. And I guess the, the next obvious question is, so where, where are you going to make money on this then? What's the sort of, how does it, how does it generate revenue for OwnForce? Uh, it won't be free. Right now it's free because it's an uh, open beta. Uh, but uh, what will probably, very probably happen is that will be a subscription model. So it's going to be subscription-based. You have to pay a little fee each month uh, to be able to use uh, the studio. Okay. That's the idea. Right, and so uh, the key is if you get loads of people writing songs in it now, then um, the, when, when they you know, want to come back and maybe collaborate, then that would be the time. It's, it's, it's that sort of freemium, freemium model. That makes sense. Yeah, you can, the users will be able to invite other people who are not yet subscribers and, and, and work with them. Mm. It's like the it's crack for the door world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Door crack. Uh, yeah, that's, that's an interesting headline, possibly. Um, it sounds like uh, things are moving on a phase. And what's what's been the overriding kind of um, feedback from you know this re first release phase? Because obviously you've been in beta for a while. I mean, you didn't just kind of launch it, you know, straight from cold. So what what's what's been the thing that surprised you most about it sudden now being public? Um, I, I think it was. Uh the lack of negative comments. I mean, we have some people that don't like this, don't like that, or would have rather have this feature except of this one. But you know, when, when, when you've been developing your product for uh, a long time like this, you're, you're not really very, very sure. Maybe you just ask yourself, did I make things right? And so we were very afraid to have like uh, tons of negative comments and say, this is just a toy mm. and everything. And, so yeah, we were, of course, we were anxious uh, to, to know how, how it would be received, and so far, so good. I mean, the, the response is pretty nice. Um, yeah. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, from what I've seen, I mean, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not a patient person, but I have managed to uh, create something today, just sort of dipping in and out, and figure <laughs> out how to invite people. I don't know if anybody... How do I know if anybody's been working on my track? I mean, what, what do I... Because I've got... If I come back to my main screen here, this is what I've got. Um, I've shared it with... Uh, if I just drag this part up here, then you should be able to see the, uh, the people who are collaborating uh, just here. What, how do I know when they've done something? Um, well, you, you know what they're doing right now. For example, let's say I'm selecting something. You uh, should see... Yeah, you that's see? That's you, is it? Yeah, that's me. Okay. So now if you double-click on this part, you see it's going to grow, or it should. Hold on a second, it might be, because um, I need to do... Yeah, there okay. we are. So you can see that maybe I can select this part and move it. You can see that I'm moving things around here. Right. Well, this is just MIDI, but... Yeah. So we don't have a... A very, um, but that's really cool because basically, if if you've got, I mean, if you're if you're listening to that and you've got a groove going, is there any way that we can actually sync playback? So, for instance, if you're messing with the groove, you know, which is obviously a key aspect to a lot of what's yeah. going on, I can see the pattern. You're going well. Maybe if I move this hi hat here, and you can sort of say, no, don't do that. Do, try, you know, is there an aspect of that kind of real time collaborative stuff, or is it is it not quite so so much so? 
No, I think it could happen. I mean, you can have, um, you could loop a part and have me work on, on, the, on, the, on this very part and just make me comments, of course. So, yeah, it works in, in real time for, for in that matter. That's really interesting. I mean, I think that could be kind of the idea of you know that real that, that as real time as possible so you can almost be it's almost like you're jamming or at least kind of working on something to that degree that's very interesting Does yeah it, i think that yeah there are many uh you know uh way to 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 use this for example you could make uh for education for example you could make sessions for i know how do i mix how do i equalize a bass or how do i do this kind of thing you could be a teacher for example, or you can you could sell. For example, you could let's say you make a song and you have this little. You, you don't know how to play bass, so you put a synthesizer there, and then you would be able to find someone who play bass who would record in real time, and you would be able to say, no, I don't like. Maybe change your sound or do it again. You know, you, you would be able to see what he's doing in real time. He has his studio at home. You don't have to make him go to your own studio. Um, that's yeah. yeah yeah i could see that all of the i mean as with all of these uh, kind of concepts it's you know if it can deliver on all of these levels then you know you're on something really special here but i mean just seeing you editing my midi data that's kind of that's pretty mind-blowing in itself <laughs> that's kind of like okay so i could get you know it could just as easily be you dave who's uh, who's doing that well i am ah, you i are am rich but, <laughs> but i can't seem to change the pitch which is interesting oh really that's because i don't trust you <laughs> no, I don't no know. I'm just kidding. But um, no, I can change the positioning in time. And it says this, by the way. There's a pull down right next to it that says what you can do, I guess. Okay. Ah, if it's gone to notes, let's have a look. Yeah, that's I'm on that same. I'm in that same pattern we just zoomed in on. Okay. Yeah, I think, yeah. That's, that's because it's MIDI for now. The MIDI editing are pretty basic. Okay, uh, very good. So it's, yeah, but, it's either intentional or known then. It's not in, well, it's intentional. Yeah, we, we, we know it's basic. <laughs> We're gonna no, no, I that. mean, as far as the ability of a remote person, in other words, could Nick change the note now? Is it because it's hosted in his world? No, I think he, he just, what no, you see I can't, here are just, I can't change the note data. Yeah, those are just like MIDI, uh, like MIDI control change, things like ah, that. So, pretty so, basic. Looking, so if I flip to notes. No, but I mean, I say, just want to change the pitch. I just want to grab one and, and change yeah, it. I think that's because there is no note on this pattern. I can add some, though. Look. Ah, it might but be. Yeah. Oh, I, I see. I see. I'm not looking ah, at notes. Okay, hold on. I've got to switch that. So if we switch to there. So can you just, so that note there, if I move it, then you can move it again. Yeah. Hey. Indeed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Now, I, I understand. That's just, that's just a, a, user, a user error on my part. Right. That's it. Yeah, um, as your head says in the uh, oh, cool. chat room, you could set permissions for pitch and uh, controller editing. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, right. No, it's funny that and the size of the track is changing and stuff. It's very cool. Wow, that is interesting. Yeah. So, uh, is there any way? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing there could be other possibilities, like you say, for the education. I mean, the thought of actually being able to uh, almost broadcast this session one to many. Does that that work? Is there a limitation to the amount of people who can view a session or yeah, in, in fact, there is a feature that we have not enabled yet, but which is there in the software. Uh, we can have also spectators, people who can see what you're doing, but 
cannot change. That's one thing. So you can, for, for example, make a, I don't know, like a public session, create a composition in live and have people watching what you're doing. Um, as of the number of people you can have at the same time, programmatically, we set up, we set it up up to 4,000. <laughs> but we've never Jesus. tested it yet. Composing so by committee never works though, does it? I mean, as we all <laughs> never, know. Yeah, yeah. It, can, it can mean also maybe like uh, 3,900 spectators. You know, is is there a way to bring the toolbar up on a on a key like control or something like uh, what is it? Cubase and Logic both do this. In other what, words, so that I don't have to go for to go from eraser to pencil to scissor yeah, to all of that. Use a use a command key. Command key. Thank you very much. You're gonna switch between. Ah, uh, so you get you get one and then you uh, get. I'm not getting that. Well, if you select one. If I select it first. If you select the arrow and then press the common key, normally you should switch between the pen. Oh, if I have the... Oh, you know what's interesting? No? No, it doesn't work. Well, it's working for me, um, but it's not bringing up... What it does is you've you've got a default tool and then you've got a command tool. So if I go... uh, my, my default tool is the pointer. Then if I want maybe a musical note to be the second one, I press command and then that. So now if I press command, it's flipping between the two, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I see. So it's it's kind of like the same thing that you get in. Um, certainly, that's familiar to Logic users um, because you have uh, you know whatever the tool is now. But I see what you're saying. You want the toolbar just to pop up so you can quickly change. That. Yeah, it's the paradigm that's used in a lot of software uh, in DAWs in Celimony's Melodyne. It's used. Some key brings up that toolbar, and you can select from it right wherever your mouse pointer is yeah. Yeah, locally that, on uh, the grid. Huh? That's another request. We can add that. Oh, okay. Yeah, very, very. I was just <laughs> curious if it idea. existed. I'm the no, thing no, it I'm, now exist. I'm trying to edit and I'm going, okay, so how can I do this? You know, so I'm, I'm guessing the only thing that um, is going to be an issue is, you know, th- as we are demonstrating, I mean, Rich is a Pro Tools guy, so he has certain standards and normalities that he would use. I would be, I'm using uh, Sony Vegas and Reaper and Logic, so I have certain conformities that I would w- want to adhere to. I mean, is there? are you thinking of adding the possibility of you know the the kind of default uh, the setting the key commands and preferences on on a client basis so i can just kind of create an xml file that says well i want this key to do this i want this to do that and all that yeah. i mean that's fairly standard stuff right yeah yeah we're gonna add but for now it's not there but we're gonna add like uh, configurable shortcuts and and default shortcuts mapping for standard host so that it's the closest as possible that's one of the design goal we have we want you know, people who come from very different uh, DAOs to be comfortable uh, as far Quickly. as possible, you know, because of course yeah. it won't be their DAOs, but as far as possible to be very, to feel easy with the software. No, but um, it's great because if I'm on the road with the band, say, and one of us is working on something here and you go, you know, hey, you know, do you want to take a listen to this and see if they've got an idea for it and you can just. We could be in separate hotel rooms working on the same piece of, you know, it's very cool in a way. I really like the possibilities it opens up. And no, it's, I don't, I'm not quite sure how if I get a result I really like, then I'm going to export it into some world that I normally work in. Mm. You know, like if I want to mix it back at my studio. And well, I can show you that. I can show you that because here there's an export function and you can export the master or you can export the disk, which would be, uh, you can have, uh, individual tracks 
Exactly. So it'll do like a file freeze track. Yeah, you could do stems, I guess, or per yeah. track basis. So exactly. rather than stems, it's not done on the yeah. outputs. Yeah, and well, also the, the guys from Avid have been very nice with us, and, and they gave us access to their export SDK. So uh, we probably add a feature to directly export as a protostation. Wow. That would be a very big selling point for you, not even just yeah. to me, but in general, because there's yeah. such a huge community of people who like to work that way that to think that this is some sort of remote editing environment that will transfer easily to it, it would be great. Yeah. But in any case, I think it's fun. To, the idea of being able to collaborate, like like I said, I'm going to spend a bunch of the summer on the road. I might get some. I'm going to pop this on my laptop and see if I can make some fun with some band members. Make sure you get a roaming data plan that you can afford. Is Mark here? <laughs> oh no, he's not. Sorry, that was the wrong one. That was you, Rich, but uh, only the wrong button. That just That's... goes to show that I, I see. I'm having a technology overload today. I've learned a new door, and um, I'm running a uh, multitasking show today as well. So I don't know what. What can I say? I'm just not great at everything. I, but I, what I should say is probably we should, it's about time for an ad from our sponsor just because um, that's what we do at this point. So I'm going to hit the button there and draw your attention to the wonderful world of Yamaha O1V96i, which is the new digital mixer from Yamaha. I mean, perhaps not you know, brand spanking new. It's been out uh, a few months now. Um, uh, we've just had one in for review, in fact, which I have uh, given a good run through, and I really did enjoy it. I mean, I'm a big fan of Yamaha mixers, so there's no surprise there. But um, So I, I'm already familiar with the working method methodology. But I did think that the uh, mic app sounded really good. But I'll give, just give you a rundown of the bullet points of what this thing has got to offer. We've got 16-in, 16-out USB as standard, and that's 24-bit 96K streams in and out that you can patch in and out to uh, channels, to your computer, to your door, uh, as insert points, direct ins and outs, auxiliary sends, all sorts of things. So lots of patchability there. Uh, as I said, refined studio quality head amps. I was running a ribbon mic, 6 plus 60 dB of gain, full gain, and plus another 10 dB on the compressor. No noise. And I was really surprised at that because usually there's a lot of hiss going on um, with other mic amps in my uh, arsenal, shall we say. Um, 40 mixing channels, 32 mono, 4 stereo, 16 analog, 8 digital inputs. There's also ADAT IO as standard as well as an additional uh, slot uh, for one of the many YJD. AI cards that you can get from Yamaha for third-party connectivity. 100mm uh, motorised faders. I personally do like a motorised fader. It makes things a lot clearer to me. Uh, four effects simultaneously. These are the VCM effects that you can use as inserts or your standard reverbs and delays and modulation, but they're also kind of stump boxes, compression, uh, uh, some really nice EQs as well. Uh, Steinberg Cubase AI included. Each mono channel has four-band EQ, compressor and gate. Uh, Studio Manager version 2 support, which is pretty cool because that allows you to get, get to, to throw up a kind of large uh, GUI environment for editing on your um, host computer. Um, you can link two of them together if 40 channels isn't enough, so you could have a, a massive system if you've, that was so you, what, what you so desired. Uh, do I do recommend you check one out, actually. The O1V96i uh, in any of the Pulse stores in the UK or if you're in one of the larger stores in um, the US, they should have one in there. Maybe plug a mic in, record some stuff to USB, take it home, have a listen, you know, see what you think of it. It's pretty impressive, I must say. Uh, I'm going to switch back to my um, 
MacBook now because as I was doing that, I was trying to read the copy and then the, there was stuff moving around on my uh, <laughs> on my screen there, which was kind of fun. I'm going to come to you, Dave Spears, now because um, you haven't said much, and I'm guessing you've probably known because you know you work with these guys for a while, so you've been aware of what it what it has to offer. I mean, and and have you finished my mix yet? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> In that order. Um, no, obviously, we've worked very closely with Overforce for years and years, and I've always known that this was their kind of raison d'etre, which is why it's brilliant for it to finally kind of be out there. What I thought was really fascinating, and I should say, actually, it does come with Mini Monster and Oddity, so yes. it does make exceptional uh, good value. So that is that full working version? Yep. Oh, interesting. Now, uh, wow. Wow. What I found really, really fascinating about this was because it was devised so many years ago and we've been at shows together where some of the homies have been actually programming in the back of the car while we've been driving to a <laughs> bar and places like that because this has been their, 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 just their main mission in life. What's, what was really fascinating from my perspective was how it's evolved into what it is today. And when I talk about that, what I mean is when we started, this whole industry was in such a kind of infant state that the ideas were thick and fast as you could do anything you wanted. But it was the way in which it had to be done, which is what slowly evolved over the years. And that, for me, was fascinating from seeing very early beta versions in the office or sorry alpha versions probably in the office at home force to the to what i see now and this is really really elegant and it's 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 kind of users have demanded certain we work in certain ways and that you know certain um monikers are used for certain functions for example and for me that that process has been what's probably the most fascinating well, there's been a lot of change in, like, say, in uh, UI and just norm the normalisation of certain key commands and tool tips and all of that kind of stuff that has been adopted across doors. That you probably has, has probably been helpful in, in as much as also being uh, irritating because you've had to redesign for it, I suppose. So you've got you kind of benefited, and presumably it's it's caused uh, more work for you at the same time, right, Jerome? Yeah, in fact, we. <laughs> When we started with uh, the alpha version, uh, what we did was to uh, ask some uh, beta testers to record a screencast of what they were doing, you know, and it was awful for us, very frustrating. <laughs> because it was like, okay, I can't do anything. It was very like they were just going there and, and just doing nothing, trying to. To, to figure out how it was working. So it's been very helpful for us, you know, to, to see people actually trying the stuff and with all their background, you know, and what they were used to do. And, and try to do, to change things so that when they first arrive there, they are more and more able, you know, to do things. Yeah. So it was a, a good challenge. However, there are some, some things that uh, we have, decided to, you know, to take the risk that we should change them. For example, well, it's still, I think there is still some work, but it's starting to work fine. It's like the automation concept. You know, when, when you start to automate things, that's, that's one thing that I've always frustrated me, is that when you start to automate things in a song, usually it's over. You, you cannot really 
edit easily the rest of the song because yeah, each time yeah, yeah, time yeah, yeah, stuff yes. around, you know, it doesn't work. So what we did here is that we uh, put the automation in patterns, just like the notes, you know, so that you can, like what I'm doing right now, you know, here I'm, I just added an automation pattern just below here. So I'm automating the uh, uh, filter cutoff of the minimum stop. And now I can just, if I want, I mean, I can loop it, you know. Wow, so just, <laughs> this is mind-boggling. Like, this is like you're screencasting. I'm screencasting your tuition via my computer while you're doing it on yours. This is the yeah, thing that I'm kind of exactly all sorts of possibilities here. So here, I just decided that I needed this kind of automation, and I can just it's a different, uh, uh, no, uh, lens, uh, different lens. Uh, yeah, so they could be separate from the notes. They don't have. Yeah. But, but you, could also, you could also lock them together. Have you got grouping or what have you going on in this as well? Well, we can, look, for example, let's say I'm going to add another, another one here. Let's say uh, this one. So what you can do here, you can select this point and move them together. I don't know if you see it when I'm doing it. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm changing two points at the same time. But I, yeah. I can also select some notes. And I can move the notes and the automation points at the same time. Wow. Okay. And, and, he's, and the filter in here is being controlled by the changes you're making in real time, which is pretty amazing. Are me. you playing back at the moment? Yeah. <laughs> wow. And I'm watching my filter dancing to the tune that he's drawing on the screen. You know, it's, just, it's remarkable. Yeah, and also you, you can of course add automation to to a normal uh, note pattern, you know, like this. You can add automation to you know you can in any pattern you can add notes and automation. So it's as you wish, you can do it. So we feel that it's more you know probably more handy uh, to handle the automation this way, because um, when you start to reorganize your song, you just move all your elements and among those elements are pieces of, of automation so it's just much more handy than having all this automation track and when you start automating things it automates, it automates all the track at once so that's the kind of thing that we, we change very, uh, good. very cool very yeah. good um, really Ed good. asks in the chat room can you get Bezier curves between automation points can you get no not yet well it's fact the engine supports it but the uh, editor does not yet. But the, so, it, I mean, a lot of the things that you're talking about are kind of points of finesse. I mean, it just depends on how many people you've got available to actually work on this stuff and implement yeah. them. I mean, you know, what's the kind of timetable for rolling out? You know, you've got, have you got kind of a, a frequency that you're trying to say, right, you know, in two weeks' time or however? however? I mean, what kind of granularity are we talking here? Yeah, that's, that's about it. We would like to make uh, a new version every two weeks and... and, and you know, add some stability and some bug fix and some new features, you know, obvious about at this rate, you know, about every two weeks, make change. I have an operational question for you. Mm -hmm. Is there a way to change the pre-roll without opening the record preferences and going to the record page? Uh, without, you know, you mean? Yes, being a, can you access that directly from the main page? 
anywhere. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Because that is something operationally that people do a lot is, is, is turn the pre-roll on and off and change the value. And to have to go a menu deep and select the tab yes. in order to go there will slow, would slow down my workflow in a way that it, if you can find a place to put it where I can see it all the time, it would be helpful. In um, fact, there are other things that will slow your progress. For example, right now we don't have yet the a loop recording. Yeah, I noticed that. But that's that. another problem. So yeah, okay. Yeah, but that's I can well, work around that. I can work around yeah. that. I worked around that for you know two decades. I can work around <laughs> that. Being able, but being able to switch the pre-roll on and off like quickly, so that when I'm doing things, I can you know, so I don't have to listen to a two-measure countdown every time I want to play it oh, back. In fact, you can. Turn the pre-roll on and off easily. It's a little button on the top left of the... Ah, that's what I meant. But you cannot change the value of the pre-roll easily. Ah, if well, I may well, illustrate, okay. that, there's, All right, there's but how... thing here, this, this button here, the next to the edit window. Where's that, Nick? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. next to the edit, edit button, top left, underneath the record button. Oh, exactly. I, the one uh, with the arrow pointing at the... Uh... Yeah, the golf flag. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I see. I've got that. <laughs> okay, cool. My other question was: you, It's great that you provide uh, the uh, synthesizer instruments. Do you provide any kind of rhythm instrument? Yeah, that's the thing that I was thinking. Oh, I haven't got any Sorry, drums. Any, any, any no, drums? Right. A rudimentary drum machine or something? Yeah, that, that's the thing. In fact. <laughs> We, we would have loved to provide it as, as the beginning, but uh, unfortunately, we didn't have the time to. I understand. And I don't mean to be demanding. I'm really no, just but, asking but, where I mean, state you're at. That's totally sensible. I mean, but, uh, I mean the, all of these the things. Presume, I mean, so. Yeah, you it, give them a, a couple of good synths and a simple drum machine, and that way they can make, you know. Yeah, yeah I mean, it seems to me that insofar as, you know, you've done something with uh, the GeForce guys, there's no reason at all why you couldn't be able to sort of do deals with people. It's like, okay, well, if we put your plug-in into this environment, if you give us a working, then, you know, it's like a kind of a, a free sales vehicle, isn't it, to a degree? I yeah. mean, it's kind of, it makes perfect sense. So you're yeah. in a very good position to make those kind of alliances and have that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's the plan. Yeah. yeah, in fact, we, we, we are aware that we need some, some more content that people... In fact, it's uh, also a benefit for us because the more people are using the same plugins, the easier it is to collaborate. Because, you know, if you use a synth I don't have, you will have to freeze your tracks all the time, so it's not very handy. So we have... Uh, yeah, we, have, we, we definitely do that. Add some content, drum machines, Probably a sampler that's going to use uh, our sample mechanism because, you know, uh, one of the things that wouldn't work in collaboration is that, that let's say you have a sampler that uses some samples on your hard drive. Uh, if you have someone else uh, on another machine, uh, his own version of the sampler won't know how to find the samples unless it's at the exact same position. So where we need to have uh, some samplers and sample-based machines that use our own sample system. I'm guessing the hard part of this really is to know which path to take through these requests that will sort of satisfy the most number of people. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I really do not envy you that task. I mean, that's going to be <laughs> really the, the hardest part of it. I mean, I can see, you know, as we're kind of going, oh, you could do this, you could do that. It's like you're going, oh, my. It's what I do when people say, yeah, can we just redesign the website? And I'm just thinking, yes, we can. But it means that I'll have, you know, that it, you can see the kind of cogs whirring. So, I mean, 
how do you, you know, how do you decide that path? I mean, what's the what are the, the do, if we all just say the same things really loudly and start shouting, are you likely to respond to us more quickly than? Uh, yes, that's possible. I mean, what we do is that we note everything that the users say and put it in the table, and then we put notes to them so it can change over time. You can you know, put some feature up, so other down, others down. And then when we decide what we're going to do in the next two weeks, we say, okay, we're going to do this, 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 this. And the process goes on. It seems like maybe a chat room uh, just... Uh, do you use the chat room for that? So if I was just... I'm working on it, and it's like, oh, actually, it would be really cool if... And I could just type it into the, the, this chat window that you monitor that so that there's, you know, there are ways for, for that to happen. I mean, that, that seems like that might be... Uh, yeah. Either a dangerous thing or a good thing, I'm not sure which. <laughs> in fact, we, we have a forum and we also monitor the, the, the chat room. The chat room is very cool. I think users really enjoy it because, and, and we do too, and I'm going to explain you why, it's because it's very easy to have support there. So that's good for the users. And what's good for us is that uh, some users are, are you know, naturally uh, helping others, which means it is our support, uh, you know, uh, it's much easier for us to do support because uh, users are starting to do it themselves. And yeah, I see, I see here, for instance, uh, somebody called Bounty says, do I have to reopen the studio for the VSTs to load? So they're just questions that people are firing off as they're using it, which is a fantastic sort of real-time way yeah. of doing it. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's really amazing for us also to be able, you know, for example, Fire Slage, uh, the one who answers right now is one of uh, the Home Force guys. Ah, okay. So, yeah, it's, I think it's uh, very good for the users, very good for us because we can have their reaction and, and know what frustrates them. And yeah, that's brilliant. So, I mean, you can immediate feedback. That's absolutely fantastic. So, whereas Nick has used SynPlant in this sequence, I have MIDI data visible, but I don't have anything playing because I don't have SynPlant here and it's not provided. And that's the rub you were talking about earlier with it being easier if everybody's got the same plugins. Ah, I thought I'd frozen it. Yeah, so you froze it. We, yeah, you froze it, but for now it's not automatically turned on, but we're going to add this feature. For now, what you have to do is to click on the little speaker uh, next, let's say, to the pad on the, yep. you know, yeah. on the... There is a little speaker, and if you press it, you should see the freeze instead of the MIDI data. And so you should be able to play the tracks. So I can do that at my end now to receive that audio? Yeah, if the speaker uh, button exists, it means, it, that exists, someone, yes. yeah, it means that someone has frozen the track. Okay, ah. and then I see, ah. So now you have it. Indeed, I do. And I have the other one as well now, the one that plays in the intro. Interesting. So now you can listen to the whole great track. And, and now response. in the mixer, but still in the mixer, it points out that the sin plant is missing because it yes. shows a little exclamation point in the mixer, right? Exactly. Okay, so that, the, the mixer being down here. So these are all the individual. Yeah. Cool. How are we getting? Not only are we getting um, That's cool. news of that, the new, we, we're getting the kind of power user information. Yeah. That's cool. Being able to freeze the track across so that you can hear somebody else's plug-in when you don't have it, that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, that's very neat, actually. That's a nice solution you got, you've arrived at there. That's very good. And it's going to be improved. But yeah, that's, that's a good, good thing. solution. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, this, this, I mean, we could probably spend all day, uh, all show on this. I, I just wonder whether anybody... <laughs> I think fancy... we just have. <laughs> well, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> whether, uh, there was the, um, I don't think we'll maybe get into the, uh, the Windows 8 topic yet because that might be a little bit large, uh, larger than life. Or maybe it won't be. I mean, because I, mean, I guess this as de- we've got two developers on the, uh, on the panel, so maybe that is a good idea. I mean, this was the, um, the kind of... <laughs> The previews of uh, Windows 8 that have just recently come out, which is kind of, as far as we can tell, more of a pad, uh, uh, not a pad, uh, a tablet-based system. If I press this, then I can probably play a little bit of this and we can have a listen. Let's see. Yeah, here we go. Hi. I want to talk to you about Windows 8 and why it worries me. Before we get to the demo, the most important thing that I want you to remember out of this video is that Windows 8 is not Windows. Don't get me wrong, I know it's got plenty of Windows code under the hood and Microsoft is welcome to name its products whatever it wants to, but the user interface in Windows 8 is so different and you use it in such different ways that it's much better to think of it as a completely new operating system that's replacing the old Windows. Now that has some really important implications for the rollout of Windows 8. Over the years, as companies have done new versions of operating systems, they've established some best practices about how do you roll those things out without upsetting your current customers. I'm not going to go into the details of uh, what's going on with Windows 8, um, but it seems to have caused a real storm of uh, sort of well, it, that that post is titled "Fear and Loathing," and uh, you know whether or not it's suitable for the musician or what. I think it's probably neither he neither he nor there at the moment because it's probably too early to tell. To be perfectly honest. But um, um, th- it raises two questions. One is, you know, you're a developer. Presumably, you've got a heads up on this. If it's gone to public beta already, then you guys are probably looking at it and thinking, hmm. I mean, does it present any kind of particularly different challenges to you? It looks a bit like Vista to me. But, um, but well, I mean, I don't know how much you can say whether you're under any NDAs. But, I mean, is there a kind of general feeling that you have about the approach of one of these things? Is it like Doom or do you think, oh, good, it can do this too, Dave? <laughs> Doom. Just all doom. And if you upgrade immediately after it comes out, you deserve to have grief. That's my attitude with it. I'm sorry, but that's the, <laughs> that's the kind of mood I'm in today. We're still dealing with, you know, Lion stuff, 64-bit stuff, all of this. The last thing I want to worry about right at this moment in time is Windows 8. And that man was quite scary on a number of levels, I'm afraid. Yeah, no, I would tend to agree with you there. I mean, it, 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 it does have interesting... I mean, there... Aside from, you know, because obviously from a Mac point of view, quite often these hooks are built in to the OS, you know, the, the, the core MIDI, the core audio. So there are immediate benefits or potentially immediate benefits from uh, upgrading your operating system, presuming, assuming that there are some uh, software softwares built to take uh, advantage of it. But if you're talking... This is this really is not an operating system update for people who are using real-time processing in terms of audio and video and any of those things. It's for kind of, as far as we can tell, it's for tablets. You know, those those are the kind of primary changes. To the internet. and it looks an awful lot like Vista. I mean, Jerome, is there presumably, you know, will your stuff run in this? I mean, do you have kind of issues with that, or is it a whole <laughs> world of crap well, that you've got to deal with again? <laughs> I've not really looked into. Uh, I, I didn't have put my hands on a version of Windows 8, but from what I've understood, uh, the standard version, the one who runs on Intel uh, computer, still have the uh, 
a huge part of the code base. So I don't, I don't have any reason to believe uh, audio software wouldn't work anymore on this. Uh, really, it's hard for me to believe this. However, of <laughs> course, you've got this version uh, that works on the ARM processors for tablets. So that's a whole new story. They're going to cut a big part of the features of the software. Which is normal. I mean, you cannot run, like, let's say, live on a tablet. It's no. Well, I mean, the, 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 the whole kind of tablet thing is, is just it. I mean, it still will have a desktop element to it. I mean, this is the thing that scares me a little bit about this whole thing is it's actually, you know, almost, almost feels like a very cynical move. If we simplify the interface to such a degree, I mean, there's a bit of it later on in, the, uh, in, in, the, in this video. If we simplify it to such a massive degree, then basically we won't have to hire as many tech support people. So we can cut our cost base on producing software. So if you just point at everything with your finger and it's running on a tablet and doesn't do anything, then, you know, you're not, then we don't have to support it anymore and it's just down to the poor developers who've got to figure out how the hell it's all going to work. It just seems very cynical, um, maybe, from that point of view, because content creators do not use tablets to create content on and musicians don't generally use it either. I mean, unless you're lucky with iPads and you can, you're happy to use Animoog and all of those things. I know, Rich, I mean, you know, historically, I mean, as anybody professionally, whether it's music, video, or if you're in an office situation, you are not just going to upgrade to Windows 8. I mean, why the hell would you? Until, until you know, X number of iterations, service pack, whatever, and we all know that it's going to be fine. Well, it might be fun. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I don't know if you've been looking around Apple's, uh, have you used Launchpad much in Lion? No, I haven't got Lion on anything. I just don't need it. Okay. So what Windows is doing is not inconsistent with the kinds of actions that Apple has been taking, uh, which should surprise nobody, sure. uh, given the history of the whole thing. And so what I see as Windows tablet-based interface here, first of all, the guy who did the video, I thought made a lot of really good points. Why do I get this welcome screen with the time and temperature that I got to push out of the way? <laughs> to log in, and, and I think that's a pretty good. When there's loads, of, yeah. In fact, here is that. Uh, there is the screen. So you push that out of the way, and then you get that, which has plenty of room for time and temperature and a pretty picture too. Right. As as yeah, you could have done it all in one screen. They chose not to. But these are these are quibbles, and they might change all that between now and the time we actually see it. But then you get to this very button-like interface, which assumes that you're going to have touch controllers, and you'll be leaning forward and pressing that button right there. You know what I mean? Um, there it is. And, uh, right. Excuse me. And if you look at Apple's Launchpad, which is what they've done in Lion and their, uh, shall we say, very likely to further in Mountain Lion, um, you'll see a very iPad-like interface where you get to group your various apps in, in various ways. And you, you, all your, you can basically, it basically does what the finder was always intended to do. It basically gives you a, a hideable space from which you can launch everything. Right. And it basically works like the front page of your iPad right. or your iPhone. So that's and, the sort of paradigm they're going for. And so that's not inconsistent with one, what Windows is doing here, except they're emulating their own touchpad environment in an attempt to try to move into that world now, I'm not necessarily in disagreement with Dave's assessment in terms of uh, my, my likelihood to predict doom for things. But um, 
But what I see them, but what I see them doing makes some sense because they're already losing market share like crazy. And uh, Windows Seven is actually pretty good, if I may say so. Um, yeah, I mean, I use it every day. It's our, it's our video think, editing environment. It's yeah. Somebody in the chat room was saying Windows Seven is now going to become the next XP because yeah. that's the one everybody will hold on to because nobody wants to move on to Vista or to Eight or to whatever. And maybe that's true. I don't know. I find it interesting that a big part of this Windows 8 is the ability to click on a button that brings up a window that looks like Windows 3 that shows you the entire, you know, uh, hierarchy and structure of your computer. And you can go in and do all the, you know, there's like this sort of like component of, well, don't worry, because all you have to do is click here and you'll get a window that looks just like the XP you've been running for the last 10 years. Whereas when Apple goes whole hog, when Apple says, I'm giving up on OS 9 and I'm giving you OS 10 now and it looks like a shopping mall kiosk to us all at the beginning, they didn't keep that many. They did keep OS 9 around for a little bit of time, but it was one or the other. It wasn't a component of OS 10. You couldn't like launch it from within OS 10, could you? Yeah, you yeah, did. You had classic, for a little you had classic mode. That's right. Yeah, yeah you yeah. did. You did. It's interesting the way they keep keeping the old one around. Yeah, well, it's that bloatware kind of business that we've all kind of suffered from. I, I, I mean, it's interesting. I, I mean, as soon as you start talking OSs, everybody gets really uppity about it. And I've got a theory about this because I, uh, if you if you look at the um, if we look at the, um, the this original topic on um, it's on Synthtopia, uh, there are just tons and tons of really irate people talking about this. And I think essentially what it is is because we've all become inadvertently, you know, we just want to use computers to do stuff, right? But in doing so, we've become kind of these IT experts. We kind of begrudgingly had to become IT experts to use this stuff to get it to work, to get the music, you know, the the whatever the software and the hardware to talk to you, the however whatever our various path to where we are now and it works or maybe it doesn't work. And we really begrudge everything changing just cause because it is. Do you know what I mean? And I, and I think that's why it really gets upset because it's like, oh no, some more stuff that's going to mean I'm going to have to go through this whole painful process all over again. That's why, and, that, and then people kind of get all the... Um, uh, it's, cre it's, yeah. it's creative people versus, versus engineering masturbation is sometimes <laughs> the way I look at it. You know, this idea that you're nothing unless you have the latest, greatest, super-duper thing. Just really, and every single band that I know who makes money out of music, without exception, never, ever, is always one revision behind in terms of OS. At least. They never, ever update immediately. Yeah. So when we get, you know, and obviously we're in the front line, we're just, we're like, I've often likened us to the painters and decorators of the audio world. We're the last one in who has to fix all the stuff that the plasterers have left hanging off the ceiling. <laughs> Don't worry, they'll fix it. And, and, and to a degree, we have to accept that, But which is why my advice is... Don't upgrade. Not immediately, you no. know. We get so many emails. Well, actually, we don't so much now because I have a very similar attitude, I'm afraid. But... <laughs> with our customers that's not strictly true but um you know we do get emails from people going oh, i've just upgraded graded to the latest greatest billy goat up operating system and this <laughs> minuscule little thing is broken in in the plugin and it's like well hang on a minute what did you expect hmm. anyway that's yeah, me I, know, I totally agree, and I, and I think that's probably the difference isn't it i mean i imagine the tech support of most software departments are 
99% of their time is used up by people who have upgraded just because they could. Oh, I've got the, I can get the latest upgrade now. I'll do it rather because they, because they needed to. I made a horrendous mistake today. I had, I had Pro Tools 9 working beautifully on 10.7.3. And I had a customer with a problem with uh, Pro Tools 10.2. So I downloaded 10.2, did the update. And at the same time, my Mac came up saying, oh, actually, by the way, it's 10.7.4. And you're nothing if you don't upgrade to 10.7.4. And now... I can't get Pro Tools working. Every time I try and launch it, it says there is an error, there is a problem with this. And I've literally wasted three quarters of a day doing this. And I don't can I help you with this. Rich, can I help you with this in five minutes? Please. Yes. Can I save you the rest of your day? Yes, please. Okay, you did two things at the same time, and that's why you're confused. 10.2 won't run, I don't think, without an HDX card. Ah. It has nothing to do with 10.7.4. 10.7.4 should support Pro Tools both 9 and 10. Well, it's like, weird, but when I went to the Digi site, it said at the minute they don't recommend that anything's used with 10.7.4. That's, oh. well, there's, a, there's another part of the website where you can see that they say we don't specifically qualify it, but we haven't found any problems with it either. And I know people who are running it, and I'm running it here. Yeah, Chris is running it on his system. So, so it'll run. Why? It will run. I... It's, what you've got is you've got a version of Pro Tools that isn't supported by the card system you're running. What which you, is a dongle. You see now what you need, Dave. Well, that would mean that it's not you don't have the card that it's looking for that will make it work. And it gets to that point in the in the actually searching stuff. It looks for hardware and it says, uh-uh. Yeah. If I, uh, so, what, you what, you, what you need, Dave, is a new Mac Pro. Do you see what I'm doing here? Uh, this is a stupid, just a beautiful link. <laughs> this was the other topic I wanted to talk about because we've been. I, I certainly have been very worried about the lack of updates to the kind of pro end of any desk. You know, not not just Macs, but Mac are particular because they have a specific line. So the Mac Pro, we've got one sitting over there. Um, it's running this show. In fact, that's the whole thing's running on it. All eight cores are probably melting through the floor. <laughs> and um, you know, but it's working. You no, know, but uh, up to, I've had to stick with this. It's I don't know how many years old. It's two or three years old at least. Um, no, no older, in fact. But the last time they updated the Mac Pro range uh, was uh, over two years ago. And there's rumours now that uh, the Worldwide Developer Conference, which I think is later in uh, June, that they're going to refresh a whole bunch of stuff, including the Mac Pro. Now, I know if you're not a Mac user, you're probably going to go, yeah, whatever. But you know, this sort of stuff is quite critical if you're if you're not if you are and you're trying to figure out how am i going to actually have a system that is going to run this um you know this the sh- cards i bought the six cards months I bought, ago yeah, all of that stuff so <laughs> at, at the moment we're talking about um there are several codes and uh i, I think actually uh they've because they've been running down the stock levels uh it was um mac rumors phone up a load of stores and they only found five stores out of a hundred that actually still had Mac pro stock, which is kind of standard stuff. They run down the store, run down the, the, the stock. And then, you know, they're apparently training days booked in. So we're looking like there might actually be some new Mac pros coming. And, uh, I always gauge it because we've got a big Apple store in uh, in Bath, and I, I, the last few times I've been there, I haven't seen anything apart from iPads, iMacs, and um, MacBook Airs. There's just no Mac Pros in there at all. And I was even thinking, well, if I buy a new machine, is it going to even be? I should just get an iMac and not mess around. But this, it looks like these things are going to be coming. Is that does that make you happy, Rich? I mean, or I guess you're going to know want to know 
What do you what do you want the the Mac Pro to have? I'm guessing PCI X slots, right? At the very least. Well, that would certainly support the card I bought six months ago yeah. that I haven't been able to use yet. <laughs> so yeah, that'd be a nice thing. Um But if it doesn't, you know what? There's a brand new magma box of air that I could spend too much money oh, on. Oh yeah, we talked about the, the That'll uh, be working shortly and I could just buy myself an iMac and hook up the Magma box of air and stuff my card in it. And uh for another thousand dollars off I go. But um what am I looking forward to? I'm looking for the forward to the day that the software I want to run works on it so that I can try the card that I bought six months ago that doesn't run in my current computer to see if it's going to work and finally send back the old cards and trade that I that I'm still holding the I mean, this is I guess this links a little bit to the previous topic. I mean, but uh, as more related to OSX, because what tends to happen when they bring out the latest, greatest uh, uh, hardware revisions is... I'm sorry, these computers will no longer run anything other than the currently the absolute latest OS. So then you're into a whole world of pain. Yeah, but I'm the exception to Dave's little rule there. I run as recent an operating system as I can get away with running the software I'm running in its most recent version. And I'm constantly keeping forward. And I'm the other guy, the guy who's not in that paradigm, who is running... No, I'm not stupid either, I don't think, most days. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm a little stupid. But <laughs> mostly, I'm not stupid, and so I don't try to run things in operating systems they were never written to run in. Mm. So if they put out a new operating system and my old software doesn't run in it, I'm not surprised because the people who wrote that software didn't have this operating system to write it in. Mm. So I'm, I don't... I don't tend to get as emotional about these things <laughs> as most Jerome, people do. you've been very calm here. I'm. I, what What do you develop on? I mean, do you develop on kind of uh, cheap, powerful PCs and then port over? Or I mean, how how you know what do you need to what st what kind of hardware do you need to run your stuff? Well, we we have to uh, we try to be compatible with a reasonable range of of uh, operating systems. So our choice for at the moment is to try to to be able to run on XP, Vista, Windows 7, maybe Windows 8 if, with a big if, we don't know yet, but it should work. And as far as uh, OSX is uh, concerned, we, we run uh, from 10.5 to 10.7. Wow. So you're, you're supporting XP, which is what? How, how many years old is that now? 12? It's pretty old, but... Uh, we have made some research, and a big part of our users are still on XP. So, wow. that's, that's... although it's it's getting down at the moment, but still. But in terms of hardware, I mean, will you be kind of thinking, well, yeah, we'll have to get one of these to make sure our stuff runs on it, or you just kind of it's you need to upgrade your development machines because they're getting kind of old and have been hammered for the last two years. Yeah, what we do is try to uh, always run on uh, and develop on. Not the last, but just before version of the hardware. For example, we well right now we run uh, uh, OS X 10.6 for as our development platform. Yeah. So it's not the very last one, and we are just you know in the middle. Usually Apple does things correctly, and and when you're just one version apart, it works okay. And also, it's cheaper to buy, isn't it? Because you're not, you're not paying for the cutting-edge stuff. You get the end yeah. of range of the last really good one before the next one comes out. That's what I tell you. Yeah, in fact, well. it's, just, it's just like musician. I mean, when, when, you, when you upgrade, you have to upgrade your, particularly with Apple, you have to upgrade your environment, developing environment, and that's a big thing. Always. It's always scary. I mean, you have your habits, you have all your software, 
uh, suit running on it, you know, the yeah. way all of test everything. So we are very uh, conservative with that. Yeah, I think that's a, that's probably a really good way to go. To be honest, I mean, I think we run uh, we're not we run ten point seven point three here. I think uh, on our stuff, I can't remember now, and I'm I'm not about to start checking on the machine while it's actually running the show because I know what will happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think we have though to check things with Mountain Lion because you know they've added uh, a lot of uh, uh, technologies to secure the user. Uh, they are sand, they are sandboxing their application and things like that. So we are we're going to have to take this because uh, it's probably have a big consequence. Yeah, permissions is going to make a big difference, right? Yeah, this this one is going to be big, very probably. Right, gatekeeper. Yeah, gatekeeper. Also known as prison officer. <laughs> <laughs> or the bitter bouncer. words of experience. You can't there. come in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but ask me if I'm going to get a new Mac Pro, and I'll go, yes! <laughs> and what operating system is it going to run? Yeah. Oh, OS 9. Yeah. <laughs> if only. No, uh, no. Uh, I mean, I like the idea. Thunderbolt and USB 3. Da -da -da. Yeah, yeah. Cool. somebody was just suggesting that uh, the new Macs will only run Mountain Lion and forward. That would be interesting. I'm, yeah, I, I'm What's sure. also interesting is... So all that, spe if this is to be true, if this is to be believed and we are getting new Mac Pros, all that speculation and hot air on, oh, they've discontinued them, it's the end of the world. Right here, that's me, I'm that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I told yeah, you, it's but, all going to be solved with the box of air. Well, apparently they're, you know, they're, they're, they're talking that it's going to be rackable and stackable. It'll be a different form factor, and you know that one's going to be a server. I mean, it would be interesting to see. I mean, uh, there are they are going to be refreshing other parts of the range too, apparently. And uh, the one thing I would like to see is, you know, on a MacBook certainly or a MacBook Pro, just ditch the DVD drive and let's have some more bloody USB ports for God's sake. You know, two is not enough on a two grand machine. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm going to switch to my uh, my this project, which has been beautifully edited, no doubt, by a bunch of people. Uh, although randomly, it might actually not um, provide us with anything decent on the playout. So what I'm going to do is, before I start the playout, I'm going to say goodbye to our guests here, and we'll start with uh, with uh, Rich Hilton over there in uh, Connecticut. Thank you very much for joining us. I guess you're going to have to go and pack. Um, do you have to pack specifically for Manchester, or is, is there a, is it just your general packing? Well, let's just say that when you're going on stage in Manchester in 55 degrees and raining, the weather's probably you're probably going to wear different clothes than you wore in Curacao when it was 90 <laughs> degrees and, and humid. So scarf, gloves, vest. Long jobs. Oh, absolutely. Full winter parka. <laughs> I'll have the I'll have the full gear on. No, 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 no. I'll just I'll wear a suit. But uh, but I actually like I see because I'm wearing a suit. I actually like when it's cool out. Pretty much the entire rest of the band is freezing their butts off, and I grew up playing hockey outside. So right. I'm like quite fine outside in 50, forty degrees, fifty degrees with a suit on and playing music. Yeah, because my whole adrenaline levels keeping my body warm. Yeah, I actually quite like it. Nice. Well, good luck and have a good trip. Thank you very much for joining us, Rich. Thank and you. we'll go to Mr. Dave Spears over there, G4 Software, um, at Curmudgeonly Central. Yes. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, good luck with all of that. I mean, it sounds like a bit of a nightmare, but hopefully some of what Rich um, imparted um, about Pro Tools will help you through the, uh, through the pain of uh, your recent um, 
issues. Thank you. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Jerome. Thank, thank you for, you for putting well, up with me. Thank you very much for joining us, Dave. And finally, uh, to Jerome Noel, thank you very much for joining us this week as well. And I'd be thank more you. than I happy to have you as another guest. You've been, I think you've passed the test. You are, uh, you, 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 the panel has approved and, and you've been been very helpful and uh, thanks for speaking so honestly about the development of this software and really the best of luck with it because I'm really into the idea. I think what we might do is I'm going to, um, I don't know if I can, can I make this project public and just kind of let anybody else get to it? You can. Can I give it a keyword or something that so if somebody searched for Sonic State, they'll be able to find it? Uh, yeah, you can put that in the comments. If you just leave your project with like comment W, just leave the project, you'll go back to the main screen and you can edit, you can add comments and everything. Right, so I'm going to do that. So if anyone wants to have a go at this, uh, feel free. Uh, remember, it's all, pub- all the publishing is mine now, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but anyway, thank you very much, Jerome. And I'm going to switch now to the, uh, well, this is what we've been working on, or what I started off this morning. I don't know where it's come to now. I noticed there's been some frantic editing while I've been doing the outro. So maybe it'll turn into something beautiful. Let's see what it's going to sound like. Ready? We'll see. So this is Sonic Talk number 270 signing out uh, with our collaborative session uh, from um, using Home Studio. Thank you very much. That sounded suspiciously like it did when I first um, when I first, when I first shared it. Although I think Jerome, you added some resonant frequencies there on the filter there, but I may exactly. be wrong. I, I, my ears are not tuned to the subtleties uh, to, that perhaps some of my panelists are, and they may well have just um, have done stuff that made me feel like I was much better than I actually am. Thank you very much, anybody. That was Sonic Talk number two hundred and seventy. It's a wrap. <laughs>